go ahead and find Acts first. If you got a physical Bible, like it's like the fifth book in the New Testament. If you have U version, just look it up, scroll to it. We'll be in Acts chapter two. Um, this morning, I was thinking about it's July fourth, you know, and it's it's um, our National Independence Day, and I want you to to remember today that um, it's really Happy Interdependence Day, right? It's just that that doesn't catch on because it's not it's not American, right? Like we're not. We're all interdependent, right? We're, we're Americans. So like, wow, I'm independent. Pull myself up by my bootstraps, right? We do everything. Else. I'm a self-made man. That's kind of what goes with our, our whole country's um, MO, how we feel about stuff. But today what I want you to see in Scripture is we're talking about these marks of the born-again life is that it's really not about independence. It's about interdependence, which um, I learned this week is really hard to spell. I got a lot of red squiggly lines, and it's okay. Um, this morning, we're talking about another mark. The mark that, that will challenge us a little bit, it challenges that independent thinking, is the, the mark of community. All right, now I've got three, three scripture verses. Um, I want to specifically talk about Christian fellowship, and I want to do it in such a way that when we're done, you won't say that it was my opinion or it's just something that I'm trying to convince you about, so I'll get you to do, do a program. I want you to see that this was God's idea long before we planned the gathering, right? Um, this community, this Christian fellowship, we talk about it all the time. You've heard us say the word community till probably you're like, ah, we hear it all the time. But the reason is because it's in the Bible. It's such a, a huge part of a born-again life. And that's what we're looking at this summer, right? We're talking about, like, what does it mean to be born again is it just an event that happens, or is it something that happens that literally gives me new life? And it's the second, right? We talked about, um, just briefly, just to make sure you're caught up to speed, I want you to think all summer long, like, literally, if I was physically born again, if I was not born here in the south of America, but I was literally born again into any other country, pick any other country, and I've picked India because I've been to India quite a bit if I was born physically into another country, would my life look different? Okay, so you've heard me, which is great. What's wrong with y'all, right? Like, if I was born in a different country, would my life look different? Yes. So I've been born into a new kingdom. So if I've been born into a new kingdom, I've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life, then if I've been born into a new kingdom, my life should look different. Yes? yes? Yes. The problem is in American Christianity, sometimes the people that go to church don't look a whole lot different than the people that don't. I'm not trying to be a jerk about it. I'm just trying to tell you the truth, right? But if we've been born again, then my life should be marked by some things. I should look different. And so this morning, we're going to talk about community. We're talking about Christian fellowship. Um, Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. Let me read it to you first, and then we'll just make some observations. This is going to be like going to school. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. Here's what it says. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes 
They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I keep, I keep reading, we'll talk about it. I keep reading all these things going like, do these, does this look like the church of today? Breaking bread and eating with glad hearts. Check, right? We do that. We got that one. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, let's just make some observations, just go verse by verse really quickly, okay? These are straight from the Word of God. That's why we're reading it. This is not my opinion. This is straight from God's Word. Verse 41, I want you to notice this. A lot of people had already taken the first step of obedience in baptism. Baptism is one of the marks that we talked about, right? If you're born again, you're born into a new kingdom, you're going to get baptized. You're not getting baptized because you have to get baptized so you can go to heaven. The only thing that keeps us out of heaven is Jesus. So when I say yes to Jesus, what I am saying is yes to a new Lord. And when that Lord says, hey, I got baptized, you should get baptized, my answer to that is going to be yes. And so we see here in verse 41 that there were a lot of people that accepted his message and they got baptized. They did what they had been told to do. And simple obedience leads to supernatural outcomes. 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Oh, y'all are not even with me. This is terrible. You're so used to people not coming to church that you miss the fact that 3,000 people were signing up for Discover the Gathering in one day. You're so comfortable with empty seats next to you that you have forgotten that those represent souls that are not here. 3,000 in one day. Now, if there had been Twitter and WordPress and blogging back in the day, somebody would have written the very next day about how God hates megachurches. But apparently, he starts them. That was all from one verse. Wasn't that fun? <laughs> Moving cautiously to verse 42. These people were devoted, y'all. The Greek word for devoted means to adhere to one, to be devoted to one, to be steadfastly attentive to one, to continue all the time in one place, to be in constant readiness for one, to wait on one constantly. Did you notice the theme there? One. Not, I think I'll try that church now. I don't really like the way you preach, Paul, so I'll come back whenever Bridget preach, preaches. Continually devoted to one, one place, one teaching. What were they devoted to? Four things. Teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. Just a hypothetical question. Don't point to the person next to you. But is that how others would describe our stance toward those four things? Would they say, boy, those people that go to the gathering, they are devoted to teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. I mean, I'm pretty devoted to the Panthers. This is the last full month without football, if you're keeping track. 
because training camps are going to start, and then there's going to be preseason games, which don't really count, but they're still football. And then we're into the season. I'm a pretty devoted Panthers fan. I've never painted my body with paint, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. And I'll do it far, far away from all of you. Right? I don't want to give you bad images in your mind, but I'm pretty devoted. But would they say that I'm devoted to teaching fellowship, communion, and prayer? Would they say that you are? Verse 43, what did their simple devotion to those things lead to? Simple obedience leads to supernatural outcomes. And look what happened in verse 43. They didn't just occasionally have a miracle or two. It says everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Many. Again, I'm just asking a question. Like, Whatever kind of miracles were happening, these were the kind that left everyone filled with awe. So I'm asking the question because I need to because I'm the pastor and I'm teaching this passage. And it's a, it could be a negative reflection on me as well. But do we leave church filled with awe? Does that describe how we leave church? I'm the pastor, y'all. I can't say that I leave every Sunday filled with awe. But I want to. I want to be so devoted to these four things that when we get together, God has an atmosphere where he can move. And there can be not just like an occasional, like I've told you this before, when I was growing up, I went to a church service and literally watched a man's foot, a leg, his leg grow. Like the, the, the guy that was praying for him held both of his feet like that and just started praying. And I watched the one leg grow until it was no longer shorter than the other leg. Like I saw it with my eyes. And I was like, holy cow, this is amazing. And it was until I figured out that apparently that's like the exception to the rule. Because the rule is apparently you just go to church and stare at Paul while he preaches. And maybe something happens, maybe it doesn't. Maybe the worship's really good, maybe it's not. But the, in the New Testament, in the, the, the book we're reading now, it was the norm Every time they got together, it was like this collective, like, holy cow, what's God going to do today? And then when they would walk out, they were talking about what God had done that day. Many signs and wonders. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. If you're taking notes, if you don't write anything else down, I want you to write this down. Christian fellowship, the kind of community that leads to all that leads to a manifestation of the power of God requires two things, and here they are, presence and unity. They were all together, presence, and they had everything in common, unity. That's a requirement. That's how my life should look if I've been born into a new kingdom. I shouldn't have to be dragged into fellowship. I shouldn't have to be manipulated into attending church. I shouldn't come based on my preference. This is hard teaching, isn't it? Are y'all okay? I love you. Do you love me? Okay, good. Let's keep going. This is not in response to anything, right? This is just the Word of God. 
I didn't come up with this. I didn't write this. But we wonder why there's not manifested power in the American church. And I would just submit, if we just want to be simple about what the Word says, we ain't showing up and we don't have unity. Period. And we're watching a lot of podcasts. For sure. We're getting great teaching. I promise you, I'm not the best teacher in the whole world. And there are people that are doing podcasts. They're way better than I am. Listen to them. You can listen to a million podcasts a week. And if you do it all by yourself, you're never going to have manifested power from God. Because it requires that you all be together and have everything in common. Period. Now, I'm preaching to the choir. Literally. I should make you sing right now. Right? You're here. Y'all that are at home watching, I mean, you're engaged. I mean, that's, that's, that's the first thing. You've got to be engaged. We've got to be together, and we have to be in unity. So verses 45 through 47. If verse 44 is the requirement of Christian fellowship, then verses 45 through 47, these are the results, right? These are, what's, these are not things that we're expected to do. All of you that are type A people with your checklist, don't put these down on your checklist, Okay? Don't start judging our church based off this. Well, I don't see these things happening. So you No, these aren't things we're required to do. Listen, these are things that we can expect to see happen. There's a difference, right? When we come to church, when we're living community, when we're living this Christian fellowship that is a mark of being born again, when we live a life marked by this, these are things that we can actually come to church expecting to see. They had a desire to sell and share as needs arose. I mean, parents of small children, do you not agree with me that when your kids want to share, don't you just stop and go, this is a holy moment, right? When, when adults want to share their possessions with people in need, that's, that's a result of Christian fellowship. There's a desire to worship together in temples and in homes. It says in verse 46, every day, every day, not Sunday, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I just want to make sure you get this because there's this division in the church today, not our church, but the church that says, hey, it's either you have a church building or you meet in a house, right? What I love about what God's doing here at the gathering is we don't, we don't like to have this either-or thinking, right? Because according to this scripture, it's both and. They gathered in the temple courts, not once a week, but every day. And they also hung out in homes together. It's both and. That's why I love to have Pastor Larry Wilkins come preach here so much. Because there's a man who's given himself to a, a ministry of a house church, and he's not an enemy of what we're doing at the gathering. And what we're doing at the gathering is not an enemy of what he's doing in his house church. It's both and. It's not either or. There's a desire to practice <clears throat> hospitality. Sorry. They ate together with sincere hearts. There was a desire to praise God. There was a growing favor with people. Did you catch that? Verse 47, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They had favor with one another, and there was a growing number of believers. All that to say this, when we read those verses, we should stop and ask ourselves, do we see these things in our lives? 
And if we don't, we need to ask ourselves some, some of the questions, right? How, how much am I giving myself to Christian fellowship? Acts chapter 4, just two, verse, two chapters over. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. I'm going to read it. It's going to sound very similar, okay? The reason I'm including this here is because I want you to see that it wasn't just a one-weekend thing, right? We've all been to revivals, and we've been like, that was fantastic, right? But then you go back a couple weeks later, and the church is dead. The church that we read about in Acts chapter 2, later in Acts chapter 4, they're still doing the same thing. It says, all the believers, verse 32, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power... The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Some of y'all are sitting here today, and you're like, it is July the 4th. The month just started, and I have no idea how I'm going to pay my bills. And I read that statement And the first thing that you think is, I don't think that still happens today. Man, I crave, I crave to have a church experience where we would be able to say that there were no needy persons among them. But it happens when we give ourselves fully to Christian fellowship. For from time to time, those who own land or houses sold them, especially right now. Amen? Sell your house now. I mean, the bad news is you got to go buy another one that's also jacked up in price. But holy cow, you can sell your house now and make a lot of money. And they would bring that money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. I don't have time to go into all this depth of teaching, but I do want you to recognize this. It's one thing to sell your land and your house with a heart that wants to help people that have a need, right? That's awesome. It's a whole nother level of community when you sell it, bring all of the proceeds to the leaders of the church and say, I trust you, do what you want with it. Yeah, I knew it'd be quiet there, right? Because we're cool being generous on our terms. That's why some of you don't give, because I'm not the preacher you like. But I wasn't called to preach in such a way that makes you want to give. I was called to preach in such a way that makes you feel convicted about not giving to God. They took all the money. If we sold our house, it'd be like us coming to the elders and going, take it. They'd be like, what do you want us to do with it? Whatever you think, you know the people, just give it to who needs it. You want a slip for the IRS? Nah, we're good. Just use it. So anti-American, isn't it? Are y'all feeling that? I'm feeling it. I'm preaching it and I'm feeling it. It's so not our country. A couple things um, that I want you to see. First. When we experience the miraculous, we say that's like a one-time thing, like a fluke, like, wow, God really moved. That's miraculous. But what the early church experienced the miraculous, you know what they called that? Church. It happened all the time. 
They might, they, probably, they might have called it Tuesday. It happened in their homes. It was just the early church being church. So here's what I want you to see, okay? Verse 32. They're still devoted. They're still unified. They're in one heart and soul. There's so much commitment to them to being one that no one claimed things just for themselves. It says it in verse 32. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. Not a statement about, about retirement accounts, right? But in the early church, in this culture, there was nothing called an IRA because there was no individual anything. Boy, that will just chafe your American butt, won't it? They didn't claim anything as their own. They were their possessions, yes. And I looked up the Greek word claim. The Greek word for claim literally means to speak up. Anybody ever um, gone on a road trip with your kids and, like, before you even get out of the restaurant, you sat down to eat supper, and as they sat down to eat supper, one of your kids was like, shotgun, right? Is it just a youth pastor in me? Man, I had kids. They were claiming, they were calling shotgun before we left for the trip about the trip home. Maybe your kids start claiming bathrooms on the way home, right? Maybe they start claiming, like, I got this seat at the dinner table. But it's what we do when we want to make sure nobody touches our stuff. I, cl- I call it. And that's what that Greek word means. And that was not happening in the early church. They weren't claiming their possessions as their own. They were offering their possessions to the whole. They shared everything, literally counted everything as common. Verse 33, what was the result of Christian fellowship like that? The New American Standard says this, that the church had great power and abundant grace. Verse 34, what I love is that part of that powerful testimony came because the community was a living example of it. So what the apostles were teaching the community was able to look at the church and go, holy cow, these people are doing what they're talking about. It's, they're literally living it out. And it caused people to see the church as a place of power. One last passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. So the, the first two from Acts were written in the early years of the church, and what we're going to read now was written 27 years later, okay? Our church is going to be 10 years old this September. So 27 years after we read about the early church, we find Paul, who has had almost three decades of working in close observation of people in the faith. So he's, been, he's had a front row seat to the church, right? He's watched how they've lived out what we just talked about in Acts And as he's wrapping up his first letter to a church that was full of problems, y'all. I mean, think of the worst church, and it was the church he was writing to. The church in Corinth had all kinds of problems. And as he's writing to that church, he writes the following towards the end of that letter, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. He says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. So I want you to take a deep breath. And we're going to bring this thing to a crushing end. All right? This is hard. Let's just take these phrases 
in the Greek and see what they're saying. Do not be deceived. The Greek word for deceived is not about being lied to blatantly. It's about being led away in small increments. Does that make sense? So it's not about somebody walking up going, the sky's green. Like, that's so stupid. It's obviously blue. It's about being led astray slowly. The fact that some of us are sitting here today thinking that can never happen to me is evidence of the truth of the verse I just read. Right? Oh, I would never do Casting Crowns has an older song called Slow Fade. That's what this verse is about. Okay? It's a slow fade. It's not like you woke up, you went to bed a certain way and woke up completely the other way. It's that you went to bed every night for years. And one day, years, years later, you woke up and you were exactly the opposite of what you had been years ago. Don't be deceived, he says. Revelation 12, 9 says the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. That's, that's the phrase, he deceives. He's the deceiver. I want you to know this. Anything that deceives comes from the devil. It's his job and his job alone. God's not in the business of deception. So Paul says, don't be deceived. Bad company, Greek word for company, literally means companionship, intercourse, communion. Did that second word make you go, hmm? It's an intimate term. This is not just like an acquaintance. It's the word that we get homily from, not hominy, right? Hominy is an awful thing to eat. Can I get an amen? amen? Ask Wendy about her experience with hominy. We don't have time to do it now. But a homily is what I'm doing right now. I'm talking to you about something. I'm giving you a homily. And this is where we get that, this Greek word is where that word comes from. So this is only used one time in the entire New Testament. These are the relationships that speak into our lives. Are you with me? So, Whoever you're allowing to speak into your life, what the Bible says is that bad company, if you have relationships that are speaking into your life, relationships that are are marked by communion, by companionship, by intercourse, that back and forth, if if your relationships are marked by that and they're bad, then what's going to happen is you're going to be corrupted. Bad company corrupts. The word for corrupt means to corrupt, to destroy to deprave, 2 Corinthians eleven three, Paul writes this, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may be somehow led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's what he's talking about. When, when Satan deceives us, our minds are led astray. They are corrupted. Why is Christian fellowship so important? Because Bad company, when, we, when, we, when our best and closest friends that speak into our lives don't represent Christianity, then over time, slowly, incremental degrees at a time, we are led astray. And what are we led astray from? Good morals. It's the only time this is used in the Greek in the New Testament, and it means a customary abode, a dwelling place. In other words, it means a way of being. See, we think that good morals are these checklist things, y'all. Well, I don't cuss, and I don't chew, and I don't 
Date the girls who do, right? <laughs> Amen, brother. And so we have this checklist in our head. If I don't do these certain things, then that means I have good morals. But what? listen, just check this out. I know we've got to wrap this up. The Greek word means a dwelling place, which means I know a lot of people that come to church that have a beautiful checklist of good morals, but they don't live it out. So they don't have good morals. They just have a list of good morals. Good morals is a way of being. So if we know all these Greek words, here's what it means. It, we, could, we could literally rewrite this verse as something like this. Allowing close relationships that speak anything other than the truth of God into our lives will eventually chip away at the character God wants to establish in us. You're like, Paul's version was way shorter, and you're right. Bad company corrupts good morals. But that's what it means. And so what is God's remedy? God's remedy to that reality is Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. A companion of fools suffers harm. Walk with the wise and be wise. Now, I want us to finish this off with a, just a quick illustration, if, if I can do that. Um, I'm going to need two people to help me out. And I hope that this goes well and no one gets hurt. Any volunteers? <laughs> it won't hurt you at all. Um, I need two people that are, like, kind of similar in height and, and size. Um, would, Zach, would you and Donnie mind doing it? I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot. Are y'all okay with this? Give them a big hand, y'all. They don't have a choice. <laughs> do you want to come down? Let's just come down here. Can we do, can we do that? Are we good? We're, okay, we're good. So can I just, um, wow, this is fun, isn't it? They have no idea what's going to happen. It's so much fun. Now, <clears throat> I want to say that um, Sydney and I practice this at home. I hope it goes better for you. <laughs> If the intercessors in the house could just begin to pray that it goes better for them than it did for me and Sydney. But, okay, um, I, boy, I really nailed it. They really are about the same height, and they're about the same build, and I've got so much phlegm in my throat right now. Sorry, that was gross, but it's, it's okay. I just need one of you to stand in the chair, if you don't mind. It doesn't matter. You want to, you want to like, rock, paper, scissors for it? You're going to come? Okay, all right. This is Donnie. Everybody say, hey, Donnie. Good job. You're so tall yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> so, because um, I need to teach you to um, just give Zach your hand. Are y'all okay holding hands? It's, we won't do it long. Oh, we won't do it long. <clears throat> now, all I need, can I just sit and watch? When All I need is, um, I'll just count to three, and then I just need you to, to get Zach up on the chair. And then, Zach, I need you to try to get Donnie down the floor. Okay, so you, as I said, intercessors, if you could begin praying right now that we don't have to call an ambulance. It doesn't have to be violent. So you're already starting. I can feel it. So it's kind of a competition to see you want to get him on the chair and he wants to get you off the chair. So I'm going to step out of the way, way out of the way. Wait, don't start, don't start, don't start, don't start, don't start. As a matter of fact, could I get a third volunteer to hold the chair still? Could we? Thank you so much, Rick. Give Rick a big hand. <clears throat> Thank you so much. Because that scared me a little bit. 
please don't hurt each other. Please don't hurt each other. I want to still have a job here next week. Okay, so on the count of three, just go. Oh, three, go. I'm sorry. Let's try again. You're right. No, you're right. You're right. Because if I had count of three, it would have turned out so differently. Yeah, so let's try that again. Let's try that again. So on the count of three, now I'm going to I'm gonna say one, two, three, go. Right, right. Smart, Donnie. <laughs> One, two, three, go. Okay, thank you. Give Donnie a big hand. Give Zach a big hand. And Rick, thank you so much. So, <laughs> that was such a great way to end it out. That was fantastic. I hope you never forget this, and maybe you've seen an illustration before, but it's, it's so much easier to be pulled down than it is to pull up. Apply that to your relationships. And I don't just mean bad people. You know what? Some of you, some, some well, I shouldn't say some of you. How bold do I want to be right now? There are, there are people who are not in a church today because they hung out with Christians who don't understand Christian fellowship. And because all they did when they were together was talk about how offended that they were at the American church, thinking somehow that would pull each of them up, but it just pulled all of them down. You, you take one person who loves Jesus with all their heart and put them around people who don't and it won't be long before that person who loves Jesus doesn't quite feel as passionate as they once did. And yet their heart can be the most, I just want to help them close, get closer to Jesus. It's just your closest relationships have got to be Christians. No, check that, because I think we should stop being Christians. Your closest friends have got to be followers of Jesus. I've heard this phrase all my life, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, right? And I think there's truth there. And we are wrapping up. Y'all been so patient. I think there's truth there. But I think that, that maybe, maybe that slights the redemptive work of God because, I mean, I think sometimes God does use us to change our friends' hearts toward Jesus, right? Can I just rephrase it? I think it's more accurate to say this. Show me your friends and I'll see your appetite. Let me explain that. If you want to feed your flesh, you're going to have friends, close friends that feed your flesh. And your hunger for Jesus is going to diminish. If you want to feed your soul, your spirit, you're going to have close friends that fill your soul and fill your spirit with Jesus and your desire and hunger for the flesh is going to begin to diminish. It's all about who you surround yourself with. And when you're born again, it doesn't mean that God doesn't want to use you to reach out to your friends that don't love Jesus because he does want a witness of who he is with them. But the influence in your life has to shift from people who don't love Jesus 
to people who do. And I didn't say from people who don't go to church to people who go to church. Because I've been in church my whole life, and some of y'all don't love Jesus. We should pray now. Because that came out really harsh. And I felt it coming out, and I couldn't stop it. And Wendy was like, oh, God, help Paul, right? I don't mean that quite as judgmental as it sounds. At all judgmental. I just mean, like, can we please examine our lives and search ourselves and ask the Holy Spirit to search us and know us, examine our hearts, and look at our relationships because they're either leading you to Jesus or they're leading you away from Jesus. They're either pulling you down while you're trying to pull them up. And the only way that Donnie, and he's pretty strong and a great tennis player, the only way that he was going to get Zach up on this chair is if there were like a whole bunch of people like Donnie on that chair pulling Zach up on that chair. Don't think for a second that God doesn't want to use you and followers of Jesus like you to lift people to Jesus. He does. But you just can't do it on your own. Because bad company corrupts good morals. We talked about whether we should have a song here, and we shouldn't, right? Because the only way to live this out is to examine your friend list. To examine who you're, who's speaking into your life, right? Who are you listening to? What are you listening to? We were talking about this the other day, um, just how everything in culture, everything in our culture screams there's no God. So if culture is my best friend, my morals are going to get corrupted, right? You have to figure that out. You've got to ask yourself, what friendships are speaking into my life? And I want to pray for you while you do that. We just close your eyes and um, just begin to kind of go through your mind. Like, just ask yourself. I'm not going to probe you. I'm not, it's not my job. And this isn't about shutting ourselves off from people that need Jesus. This is about the closest relationships in our lives. And are they pulling us down more than we're pulling them up? And Lord, I pray that as we examine our friend list, as we think about the influencers in our lives, I, I just ask that you would give us grace, God, and that you would give us your heart for people. I mean, you saw the crowds and you had compassion on them. This is not about not having compassion on people. But this is, God, about us as believers, as people who have been born again, because we've been born into a new kingdom, God, are there friendships and relationships and influences that were in my other life that I don't necessarily need in this new one? And only your Holy Spirit can show us that. You've got to lead us and guide us. And we just give you permission right now to do that, just to guide us and reveal to us the relationships that we need to have in our lives. Because if bad company corrupts good morals, then the re inverse of that is true as well. Good company strengthens good morals. 
We walk with the wise. We're going to grow wise. And so I pray over the gathering, those that are here this morning, those that are watching online, those that will watch later this week online. I just pray, God, that you would give us true Christian fellowship, true biblical community that is contagious to those around us. That doesn't look like we just got together in a room and started a Christian club, but actually looks like people who have been born again, who were hanging out with people who have been born again, who want to see a lot of people born again. And that you would add to our number daily, like you did to the church in Acts. And we ask you to do it in the name of Jesus. Amen.